couple of weeks, so uh, grab one of those cards and pray over it. Amen? Turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. We're going to finish up chapter 2 in a message that I've entitled, How Come They Don't Get It? Now, I know this never happens to you, but you talk to somebody about spiritual warfare who doesn't know the Lord, and they look at you like you have an eye right in the middle of your forehead. You, you, you talk to them about you heard from the Lord, and they think, this person is crazy. You, you talk to somebody about your walk with the Lord. You, you talk to them about spiritual things. You talk about uh, what you do in the church and why you do it, and service and servanthood and all those things, and people look at you like, I, I, how come you spend so much time with this Jesus thing? They don't get it. And we find out in this next passage of Scripture here, we're going to take verses 11 through 16 this morning, we're going to find out why. There is a reason that people who don't know the Lord don't get the things of the Lord. There is an absolute understanding that we can have from this passage of Scripture that helps us completely understand why when you talk to somebody who doesn't know the Lord about the things of the Lord, that they look at you like you're speaking a foreign language. Because you are speaking a foreign language. You're speaking the language of the Spirit. You're speaking the language of God. You're using the Word of God. And this passage that's now before us helps us understand why they're looking at you like, I don't get it. And so don't let let that dissuade you from sharing the good news of the gospel with people. Because the Holy Spirit is in the world and convicting people of sin and righteousness, but all the deep, fine things of God, somebody who doesn't know the Lord is not going to understand. And so this morning, how come they don't get it? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, the encouragement to us, and sometimes we do wonder if we're speaking a foreign language. We, we talk about your things with other people. Help us to continue to find ways to communicate the good news of the gospel to those who do not know you. Lord, help us to be bold about our faith and speak those things which are good and necessary for the edification the building of your body. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word, the power that it has to change us. Pray that you would do that, Lord. Help us to take these truths in and live them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? And so this is in relationship to understanding the deep things of God. So if you remember, as, as we finished up last time, that, that it is in fact the Spirit that does that. That's how we understand and know the deep things of God, is that God's at work in our lives, and we have that life now by the Spirit. And it says there in verse 10, but God has revealed them to us, and remember the us is Christians. That's who's being spoken to. Believers, those who now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God literally dwells within you. Reveal them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And so here we have this incredible truth that helps us understand why the world 
doesn't understand our biblical views, doesn't understand our Christianity, doesn't understand salvation, doesn't look at the things that you do as having any sense whatsoever, thinks largely at times that you're completely out of your mind. And so these things should not be a shock to us. And so it goes on to say, even so... No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so here's the contrast that's being drawn here, and it's so important for us to get. No one can understand, in essence, humankind or mankind unless they're human or mankind. And so the same is true in the spirit realm. The only people that understand spiritual things are people who are indwelled with the Spirit. It is not that anyone who doesn't know the Lord can't come to the Lord, but the deep things, the things of God, are not known by somebody who doesn't know the Lord. They're wandering around completely unable to discern those things. That's why when you look at the religion section in Barnes & Noble, there's 10 jillion books in there, and... 90% of them have nothing to do with biblical Christianity. There are people trying to figure out spiritual things without the ability to do so. And so they write some really wacky stuff. There are all kinds of books in there that have nothing to do with the Spirit of God, but they're labeled Christian. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, And notice the distinctions that are drawn here. These are very important distinctions. We haven't received the spirit of the world. We have the spirit who is from God. And notice it says who is from God. There's a reason it says who is from God. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. And this is a function of of this particular passage of Scripture is to draw attention to the uniqueness of biblical Christianity which requires something very unique that we understand. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. In other words, what it's saying is, the Spirit of the world has no capacity to understand the things of God. Non-believers have no capacity to understand the deep things of God. They can hear them, they can rationalize them, but the deep understanding that is necessary to have them become spiritual truth in their life is a direct result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in essence, you do not have the proper translation. You can hear it, their words to you, but they seem very strange. It says that we might know those things that the Spirit uh, interprets for us. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, this is why people uh, can come to, by a work of the flesh, an understanding of what Christianity is. People by flesh can come to an understanding of what Christianity is, but they can't come to a relationship with God simply because they have the information. It requires faith. It requires an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so people very often look at the word religion 
and they lump biblical Christianity in with Hinduism and Buddhism and being a Muslim and being a Christian scientist and belonging to the International Church of God and all of these groups of people that claim to have some spiritual influence in the world. And that is why you see those coexist bumper stickers everywhere. Because without the Spirit of God, everyone is the same as far as they're concerned. Well, it's just their way of finding God. It's just their way of expressing their spirituality. You'll hear those terms in the world. You'll have people that will say to you, Oh, well, I believe in God. That may well be. The question is, what God do you believe in? And this is how you clearly define what a cult is. And I want to remind you of a few things that we have shared previously. And If you want the whole series, grab our series on the cults. I would encourage you to grab our series that we did last summer on the Holy Spirit. It is important for us to understand that as a Christian, we have a new filter through which we understand everything. And it's called the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is people think they can get that information by study. They think they can get that information simply by reading it. And it doesn't come that way. Scripture is very clear that you cannot know the things of God without receiving the Spirit of God. Cults as we know them. And that, when I say cults, what I mean is anything and everyone who does not believe that there is a Father God, a Savior whose name is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all working together, each one of them equally God. We call it the Trinity, or the Triunity is the best way to look at it. If you do not believe in all three persons of the Godhead, then you are left, in essence, with most of the world's religions. That is the distinction. And that's why cults always produce and promote a false teaching on who God is. Literally God. When you talk to someone who's a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, they do not believe in the Trinity. They do not teach that God exists in three persons. They do not believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being equal. They believe in tritheism. There are three gods, which is a very different issue. And so they have a false teaching there. The second thing that is also unique, and these things all require the Holy Spirit for us to instruct us. The second thing is that cults teach in a completely false view of who Jesus is. Jesus for the most part, in the rest of the world's religious systems, belief systems, whatever you want to call them, Jesus is not God. He may be like God. He may be a type of God. He may be one of many gods. Uh, just as Christian science teaches that, that Jesus was not God, but he was in essence the ideal expressed in humanity of God. They also teach that he did not die on the cross and that he was not raised from the dead. And so when you begin to look at, at the 
false teaching that's in the world, it becomes very clear that the way is narrow that leads unto salvation. And in order to understand it, you need to have the Holy Spirit filter in you. A third way that is often missed in regard to how we understand things, because know this, Mormons believe they're Christians. Christian scientists believe they're Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses believe they're Christians. And yet they're not. They're not saved. They're lost. Because they do not have the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Not sad. But it's also true. Because they can't know God without knowing that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the moment somebody says, well, no, the Spirit of God can't be in you. Which is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Then you're saying you can't be saved. It's spiritual knowledge. Third way that very often uh, the work of the Spirit is demeaned is that virtually every group that's on this earth that's a cult also teaches salvation by works. Not through faith that is given to you as a gift that produces in you the ability to receive the grace of God, which gives you a spiritual relationship with God the Father, and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It just simply works. You do a certain set of things, and you now have a relationship with God. And the fourth thing is that there's almost always something other than the Bible that your attention has to be drawn to and that you understand. And so when you look at the world around you, it becomes very easy to differentiate between biblical Christianity and people who are truly saved and people who are lost but have a tremendous amount of religious knowledge. And there are a lot of people on this earth that have a tremendous amount of religious knowledge. But the real spiritual things, in essence, are unknown to them. No one, and I certainly am not, is denying that there are wonderful, nice, seemingly God-fearing people that exist on this earth that are very convinced that the truths that they believe, supposedly, are the truths. The problem is, the Bible says differently. And if the Bible is the Word of God, which we believe it to be, then we need to do what it says. And so it says, and I, I want to draw your attention to, to have the wrong plan, the wrong person, and the wrong power is to not be saved. Going, ah, I don't like that. You know what? I don't like that. I've shared with you before, I don't think there any right-thinking person on this earth wouldn't like for everyone who ever walked the face of the earth to be saved. Amen? That'd just be nice, wouldn't it? You wake up in the morning and everybody goes to heaven. The problem is, Scripture doesn't paint that picture. And those things are spiritually understood. They're not understood with the mind, because the mind says, I think God should save everybody. The mind says, it sure would be nice if nobody went to hell. Amen? I think most people think that. I know I do. I don't want anybody to perish. But I know what my Bible says. 
to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved, and that there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. Those things are spiritually understood. They're not understood with my mind, because my mind says, I'd like everybody to be saved. My mind says, I'm as bad as anybody else. How come I'm going to heaven? Anybody else ever have that thought? Think if you're rational, you have. It's because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually appraised. They're not just what you think. They are what the Spirit has already said. Turn your Bibles, if you would, over to Acts chapter 4. To help you understand how narrow these truths can be, Peter preaching this sermon, and it says there, picking up in around verse 9, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, very clear who that is, uses a very long, the Jesus Christ who can't be confused with any other Jesus who might also be called the Christ, the guy from Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty narrow. I'm pretty sure there was only one Jesus Christ from Nazareth who got crucified, well known, whom God raised from the dead. So can those two people be the same person? Uh, if someone was a person and that person was crucified, and it says, and God raised him from the dead, pretty clear that talking about two, at least two different people here. And by him this man stands before you whole. Talking about, Peter's talking about himself. He says, I, I'm here because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the fact that God raised him from the dead. Very, very narrow way. And this is the stone that was rejected by you builders, speaking to the Jewish people. He has become the chief cornerstone. And he says to them, notice verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other. In no other. There isn't another way, not another truth, not another life. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is spiritual knowledge, not earthly knowledge. And when people read that verse without the Lord, they go, that is too narrow. I don't like what that says. Because that means you can't be a Buddhist without Jesus. And whenever I say things like this, what I mean is anyone can be saved. You can be a former whatever. You can be a Buddhist, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Hindu, you can be a tree hugger, you can be whatever. Okay, And with Jesus, you can go to heaven. But without Jesus, not so much. Can't happen. People don't like that. They hear those words and they're like, I can't believe that God would do that. Until you start to understand what Scripture says. Until you understand through spiritual knowledge what you need to know. And basically that spiritual knowledge begins at salvation. And that salvation comes to you by faith. God's plan has always been that all men be saved. That's what he wants. 
He's made that possible through Jesus Christ, and he's put the Holy Spirit in the world to convict people of that truth first. So it takes all three persons of the Godhead. It takes the work of all of them. Without Jesus, you can't be saved. That's spiritual knowledge. You talk to someone who isn't a Christian, and that is an offense. You talk to someone who doesn't know the Lord, and the first thing they say is, I can't believe God would act that way. People get confused. They get frightened. They hear words like predestination or election coming from the Bible, and they're like, man, I I can't believe God would even have those words in there until you understand the fullness of God's plan, which comes to you spiritually. It's not just pick up some book on election or predestination and study it, and all of a sudden you get it. It is a spiritual truth that's imparted to your life by the Spirit of God. As far as God the Father is concerned, and you need to understand these things because it's very important. When I was saved, from God's perspective, he saw me as saved before the foundation of the world. From God's perspective, he saw me as saved before the foundation of the world. If God is God, God the Father, God the Father can't be taught anything. He's not lacking any knowledge. He certainly knows who will and will not accept him by faith. And because his desire is that all men be saved, he certainly knows the ones who will make that choice. So from God's perspective, God sees me as saved before the foundation of the world. As far as God the Son is concerned, I was saved the moment he said it's finished on Calvary's cross and gave up his life. He did everything necessary for me to be saved. Nothing else has to happen. But those are two very different works, amen? They're spiritually understood. Seems kind of crazy. God the Father absolutely had a plan before he ever made the worlds that he was going to save men. Jesus, as far as his work is concerned, when he came to this earth, when he died on Calvary's cross, he made it possible for all men to be saved. To as many as believed him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. So from Jesus' perspective, I was saved the moment he died on Calvary's cross. From his perspective. Because he's also God. There's one last person that we need to talk about. God the Spirit. From God the Spirit's perspective, God the Spirit was in this world convicting me of sin and righteousness, making sure that I heard the gospel message, And from God the Spirit's perspective, in April of 1968, I actually got saved. Because that's when I responded to the things that the Spirit was doing in this world. And that's when I began to understand the plan of salvation, God's work in this world, why the Bible says what it says, and all of those things. So without the whole picture you can come to some really wrong conclusions. Because if I just thought about God the Father, He wants everybody to be saved, and He thought about that 
before the foundations of the world. If I just thought about it from Jesus' perspective, everyone could be saved when he died on Calvary's cross. If you don't have the work of the Spirit and realize that there's a missing element called faith that you get by believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you come to the wrong conclusion. Spiritual knowledge, very different than mental understanding. That's why when you try and explain the Trinity to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, they're like, woo, loopy. You mean God is God the Father, and God is God the Son, and God is God the Holy Spirit, and they're all three people, they're all God? You say that to the average person who doesn't know the Lord, and they're just like, you are like touched in the skull. But when you understand spiritually how all three persons of the Godhead work simultaneously, that Jesus was also seen as the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Even though it didn't happen until 2,000 years ago, from God's perspective, that was always the plan. He was always going to send the Holy Spirit into the world to convict men of the truth of God. And he even made provision until that happened for men to be saved. He allowed them to live by faith. Come join us in our study in Hebrews 11 on Wednesday night. So God has always been completely fair. God has always desired for people to be saved. God has made provision for people to be saved. God has given us sufficient evidence that those things are true throughout all of human history. And yet when you talk about that, people don't get it with this. And so the passage that's before us this morning, for what man knows, it says there in verse 11, the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him. Notice the first view here is human. Notice it doesn't say dogs, cats, rhinos, parrots, lemurs, gorillas. It does not say redwoods, wildebeest, badgers, or any other thing. Men understand what it means to be men. Amen? The same is true in the spiritual realm. Only people who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God who is a person, can understand the spiritual things of God. The only other thing that is needed for somebody to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ is for them to respond. There is enough evidence in the world. That's what Scripture declares. The Spirit of God's at work in the world, convicting people of their sin, helping them understand the, the gospel message. All of that is completely true and separate from understanding everything else. In other words, you have to get saved before all this stuff starts. You see, it says, so even no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So what is true for us is humankind is also true in the spiritual realm. If you're a a person, you don't understand what it's like to be a wildebeest. If you're a wildebeest, you do not understand what it's like to be a person. It's not possible. You have to be of the same kind. And so it says, in order to understand the things of God, you have to be a child of God. And he goes on now, the rest of this passage for this morning. For these things we also speak, not in words which are man's wisdom, and those things which he teaches us, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing, notice, the spiritual to the spiritual. So these things don't come from just mere persuasive speech. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, notice this, foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, 
because they're spiritually discerned. And that word discerned is better understood, appraised, or the value of them is known. You see, you, you can't know the deep things of God. You can't know spiritual things without first knowing God. It doesn't happen. You can get glimmers, you can get glimpses, but you can't know the deep things of God. But he who is spiritual judges all things, and yet he himself is rightly judged by no man. In other words, only God knows what's in your heart. And he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You you see, none of us are are one day going to, you know, I came up with my own plan of salvation. It's a whole lot better than yours, God. I came up with my own way to live on this earth in a way that's pleasing to you because your way was kind of too hard. I thought about it for a while. You know what? God, as I thought about the things that you do on this earth, we need to really have a better master plan. It isn't going to happen. Not going to wake up one day and come up with a new way of salvation. Now, as I've said that to you, what do you think the world's religions and cults are? but exactly another way to do what God has already done. And so there can't be, by nature, truth is not negotiable. It's not relative. Truth is truth. It must always be truth. And so if one thing is truth, and there's a so-called competing truth, how many of them can be true? The answer is exactly one. One must, by the nature of truth, be truth and the other false. And so therein lies what the enemy has been doing for centuries and millennia. Trying to convince people of truths that are not from God, but in fact look like they are. That's what world religions are. There's another way to come to God. There's another way to be pleasing. There's another method of salvation. And so here we have the work of the Spirit in the world today. John chapter 15 begins this way in verse 26, and it says, But I will send a counselor, the Spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will tell you about me. Begins this picture of the work of the Holy Spirit goes carries on actually into chapter 16. It says, actually, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the counselor won't come. And if I do go away, he'll come because I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world of sin and of God's righteous judgment. And it goes on in verse 13 of chapter 16 there in John's Gospel. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. This is a very select group of people. It's Christians. People don't like that. You mean spiritual things can't be known by anybody but Christians? It's exactly what Scripture says. Not in the truest sense of the meaning. Spiritual things are discerned by God's Spirit. And God's Spirit has to be in you for you to discern spiritual things. 
Otherwise, they're just like any other philosophy on this earth. Any other ism, if you will. And it goes on to say, or he will not be presenting his own ideas. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He'll be telling you what he's heard. In other words, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, isn't making up his own story. Because remember, there's three people involved in this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a unified message. It's not different. That's why when somebody says, well, I can go direct to God. That, by the way, is exactly what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. That there is Jehovah. And that's who you need. Scripture says you need all three. You can't be saved without God the Father's plan. You can't be saved without Jesus Christ the Son's sacrifice. And you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit being in you and working to give you that plan of salvation, convicting you of truth and of righteousness. You can't be saved. So when somebody says there's another way, that's not the Spirit of God. It's the spirit of deception. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. You see, Paul was in essence challenging the Corinthians to stop trying to think it out. You see, a lot of times we want to come to an intellectual understanding of who God is. As I've shared with you before, if you can convince someone to be saved, they can also be convinced to be unsaved. It is a work of the Spirit. If it's just pervasive argument, if it's simply sitting around and talking about uh, intelligent design, if it is simply convincing people that all the rest of the world's religions are, are just not quite as good as biblical Christianity, that is not what saves people. Those things are wonderful. It's called apologetics. It's the study of defending your faith. And those things are wonderful. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. But they can't save you. The gospel saves you. Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, dying for your sin, because God the Father, before the foundation of the world, said this is the plan, it's the only plan, it's the only way for anybody to be saved. Him doing it, and the Holy Spirit putting that stamp of truth on that message, bringing it to your heart to where you receive it by faith and believe it, that's what saves you. It's not if you understand how the universe got here. It's not if you're convinced that Darwinistic evolution never occurred. Those things can't save you. It's not just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. And those things are spiritually discerned. These other things really are just part of the training program that we go through. And it says there in verse 12, For we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand what God has freely given us. The we basically is contrasting believers and unbelievers here. There's only two groups of people on this earth. They're saints and ain'ts. Believers and unbelievers. Those who are going to heaven and those who are not, unfortunately, and have another destination. It's only two types. Somebody who isn't a Christian hears those words. That's why they call us narrow-minded and bigoted. That's why I say, well, I couldn't love a God who wouldn't save everybody. Let me give you an opposite point of view. How could you love a God who, who saves everybody without there being any basis for that salvation? Just arbitrary. There's a flip side to that argument. 
I think what's going to happen is as the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, you're going, man, God was pretty smart. Good idea. And I didn't come up with that. You see, the spirit that's in the world begins to have its own way in this world. And that's why when you talk to people about their existentialism or their humanism or whatever ism they're into, their materialism or sexualism or any other thing that occupies their heart, because that's really the issue. A materialist is, in essence, focused in on material things so much that that really is their God. That's the issue. My Bible says you can't be saved by simply having material goods. You can't have it by simply being an intellectual. You can't have intellectualism as a way of salvation. There is exactly only one way to be saved. And it's to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the book of Galatians says it this way. You, you, you see, we're not depending on the world's wisdom. It says, therefore, he who supplies is the Spirit, there in chapter 3, and verse 5 of the book of Galatians, and works miracles among you, among you. And he who does it, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the bottom line is it's by the hearing of faith. It doesn't make any sense. You mean I can't just go study? Because if that's how you did it, there'd be people who aren't smart enough to figure it out. If you sat around all day and came up with ten points, I guarantee you, break all of who God is down to ten things, which you can't do, by the way, but let's say for a moment you can. Break it down to ten things, put them on a slip of paper. I guarantee you there are people in this room who won't get all ten. We didn't do too good with Ten Commandments, amen? And they weren't that hard, okay? And they didn't save you. Now imagine all of the deep things of God, just ten things. Isn't going to happen. becomes a mental exercise. So it happens by the Spirit of God. It's available to anyone and everyone. can happen to the least among us. can happen to the greatest. And what's sufficient for one is sufficient for the other. It's marvelous. And it's the only way for it to actually work and be fair. God would be completely unfair if it were any other way. If it were understanding, he'd be unfair. If it were feelings, it'd be unfair. Because some people don't have much feeling, amen? If you have to get a burning in your bosom to come to Christ, some of us are in trouble. Because I only get that when I eat Mexican food. I mean, think about it for a second. So it is spiritual knowledge. And to some degree, we don't get all of it. I don't get all of it. The good news is I don't have to get all of it. I need to believe and be saved. And then the rest of it takes my lifetime. And God just reveals those things to us. And He freely gives these things through salvation. And all of a sudden, you're understanding those deep things. But don't expect someone who doesn't know the Lord to get it. They're not going to get it. Some of it may make sense. Some of it may, may, may make no sense to them. You tell them the truth, but don't be shocked when they go, I don't like that. That's unfair. It's because they need to come to Christ before all those things begin to make sense. And they will. They can by faith. 
Verse 13, when we tell you this, and I'm reading from the New Living, we don't use words of human wisdom. We speak words given by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Why? Verse 14 tells us. Again, the New Living Translation, very, very easily seen here, that people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. Need to be any plainer than that? People who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. They just can't. They're not there yet. It goes on to say, for it all sounds foolish to them. Only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit's actually saying or means. And so as God speaks to us, as God works in our lives, as the Holy Spirit's in this world, as Jesus made that all-sufficient sacrifice, those things, when you become saved, all of a sudden the light goes on. Amen? All of a sudden the light goes on. You're going, oh, okay, I know what it's like to be, man, spiritual warfare, I get that. You ever talk to somebody about spiritual warfare who doesn't know the Lord? They, they start thinking, you are touched in the noodle. You mean you actually believe there's demons? Yep, I do. You believe there's angels? Yep, I do. He said, but you can't see them. You see, that is spiritually appraised. Those things are spiritually understood. Can't know them without Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 begins this way. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live to the Spirit according to the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is at war or has enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. And so then those who are of the flesh cannot please God. It's the same principle. Can they do good things? Absolutely. They do wonderful works of philanthropy. Of course. But can they be pleasing to God? Not without Jesus. Not without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Looks good on the outside. Not good on the inside. And the enemy has been at work, just as Revelation chapter 12 tells us. Remember it says there, he is the one who deceives the whole world. The whole world's going, I don't like the whole biblical Christianity thing. I'm really good with Buddhism because it's pacifistic. Only problem is, because of the wickedness of men's heart, to become an utter pacifist is to say that you don't care what happens to the less fortunate. It's to say that those who are, are in grave danger, who are weaker than someone who's stronger, don't matter. Jesus never held that view. And in fact, he encouraged the disciples to go get a couple of swords. They said, this world's going to be a mess. And you're going to be my witnesses in this world. You see, but it sounds good to be a complete pacifist. Problem is, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, you'll find out that the world will never be like that. So what are you going to do when a Stalin shows up or a Hitler shows up? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when Muammar Gaddafi shows up? What are you going to do when a Ted Bundy shows up? What are you going to do when someone walks into your home and points a gun at your wife? 
Well, we don't want any trouble. You, you see, it sounds real good. Well, we'll just talk to them. No, there may come a point in time when you might have to use physical violence to defend your family, to defend the, in, the innocent. You might have to do that. It's not because God wants it to happen, but it is the way the world is, and he knows that's the way the world is. Oh, it sounds good. Spiritual discernment tells you, I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. You see, one who is spiritual, those who are spiritual will end with this. Discern all things. In other words, as the Spirit indwells you, you have the capacity to see things correctly. Understand them from God's perspective. And know them truthfully. And they themselves are subject to no one else's scrutiny. You see, when you have the Spirit of God in you, you can know the truth. There isn't a higher authority. You're not going to get to heaven and go, well, God was wrong about this, 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 and this. There's going to be a whole bunch of Buddhists there. See, we told you we were right. This isn't going to happen. And again, I'm not trying to mock here. This is how people think. This is what you're going to be confronted with. There's a competing, no, there can't be a competing truth. And so it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has instructed him, but we, you, someone who knows the Lord, has the mind of Christ. And that's why people don't get it. They've got to have the mind of Christ first. Then they can understand the other things. Then they'll understand all these things that we debate. You know, it's not about Glenn Beck being right or Rush Limbaugh being right. It's about Jesus Christ being right. It's about the Word of God. It's about spiritual things that are truths to the body of Christ. We live that way. I'll give you a little clue on how to be right 100% of the time. Do what God says. If your Bible says it, do it. It's pretty simple. But those things are spiritually discerned. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time in your words, and we pray that, Lord, you would continue to work in our lives. Lord, we pray for those that we know that are, are struggling with the truth of the gospel and with the message of the cross. Lord, it is foolishness, those who are perishing. Maybe they even think it seems unfair, but God, we know what your word declares. And Lord, we know that there's simply one way of salvation. And so we pray for the lost. Lord, we pray for this community. We pray for our nation, Lord, its role in this world. We pray for those who are deceived right now, even by the enemy. Lord, we do pray for those who are locked up in, in Buddhism or Maybe they're this morning a, a practicing Muslim. Oh God, your spirit's able to convict of sin and of righteousness. And you're able to save to the uttermost. And so we believe that your spirit is able to reach those who are in faraway lands, Lord, right now, this very moment with the gospel and cause them to believe. And once they begin to believe, the light will turn on. And so, Lord, we pray for boldness for us to go into the world to bring the good news of the gospel. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.
worship the Lord, and we'll thank Him for our offering.